Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zweig Group team looks forward to welcoming you. You're listening to a special edition Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting guru, Mark Zweig, and his team of experts, Straight Talk, in your ear. Mark has more than 30 years of experience helping AEP and environmental firms thrive, and these podcasts deliver his invaluable management, industry, client, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter and the Zweig Letter Podcasts let you develop professionally wherever you are. Hey, everyone, and thank you for joining Zweig Group Media and the Zweig Letter exclusive interview series. With almost 25 years of continuous coverage of the design industry, the Zweig Letter is a constant in an ever-changing marketplace. We are bringing you some of the best and brightest minds that our industry has to offer. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Craig Finley, President and CEO of Finley Engineering Group based in Tallahassee, Florida. Craig, it's great to have you join us today. Instead of me reading off a litany of things about your firm and yourself, why don't you tell us a little bit about Finley Engineering Group? Well, thank you, Randy. We're a specialty bridge engineering firm working predominantly with contractors in design build projects or public private partnerships. We have offices in Tallahassee, Florida and Prague, Czech Republic. Uh, with this company, we've been doing this for about uh, 15 years, and we uh, do a combination of long-span concrete and steel bridges or more of the complex contractor-driven projects. Okay. So now, and you mentioned Prague, and somebody else had said that to me, and I mean, there, there are very few engineering firms in stateside that have offices in Prague. What, what, what was the, the impetus behind that? Well, for us, we, we do a lot of world, uh, a lot of international work. We had a great engineer that had been with us from uh, for five years here in Tallahassee that was Czech, wanted to go home. He was valuable enough. We looked for ways to keep him. And what we found is the uh, Czech engineering community is very well uh, educated. There's uh, good skill sets there. And what it's done is it's allowed us to expand our uh, our global reach in a very cost-effective and uh, uh, international international way. It gives us now about 16, 17 hours of continuous production every day, yeah. and we're very excited. We're very excited with the results we, uh, we've achieved so far. So, so tell me, um, so obviously you started with him, and he was a known commodity. Um, how many people have you added to that team? Then? We're up to six. Wow. We're up to six. Okay. Uh, what makes it challenging in the Czech Republic is there's a law that requires a two-month notice period between, uh, let's say, an engineer uh, tenders his re- resignation or a company 
is going to uh, uh, part ways with a uh, with someone. Mm-hmm. So it's two months versus our U.S. two weeks. Oh wow! So with, okay. it, with it right now, we've got six, and we've got offers out for three more that will be joining us in December, right after the first of the year. Oh, so man. Our, plans, our plans are to take the office to about fifteen. Okay. It's early early into 2017 as we find the right people. Wow. So now how often are you uh, are you headed over there um I was, the I was there uh I was there last week. Okay. A week and a half ago I was there for about 5 or 6 days. So okay. we try to have more or less continuous communication with them. I'll Skype with the office two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. And we try to be in the office every every three months or so. So far, we've had either someone from the Prague office in Tallahassee or someone from Tallahassee in the Prague office almost every month. So it's working real well. Well, that's good. So, you know, now that you bring that up, I'd be curious to know, because one of the things that we hear from a lot of your peers in the industry is how important culture is. And I'm, I'm curious, outside of the the individual that that left your Tallahassee office and went back to the Czech Republic, um, how, how have you been able to um, uh, export that culture from Tallahassee over there to Prague? For the first uh, first half of the year, that office worked as uh, with us on our projects here. So there was a lot of interface. We utilized the same quality control manuals. We required the same software, mm-hmm. the same procedures and outlines, and we're basically running them off the same the same business systems uh, that we're running in Tallahassee. Okay. So one thing that we we require is. Emails are fantastic if there's a lot of detail, but if there's questions or interface, we use Skype between the offices. That way, the people talking can see the other person, become a little more familiar with the other person. Yeah. And we do, we do little things to kind of keep both offices in the know of uh, what's going on. So I think for us, the most important situation for developing the culture, explain why we do something. And tell tell someone, hey, this is the best way we found to do it. We're open for better ways. If it's a different way, let's stay with the way we have. But if it's a better way, then the whole company will embrace it. So familiarity, face-to-face communications, recognize that there are people in each offices that have that are interesting characters. Mm-hmm. It's been fairly it's been fairly uh, simple. We are relentless on quality control. So the idea that we're going to take anything other than our best effort uh, is not acceptable. And I think that's been a good uh, that's been a good thing to kind of uh, bring across the the innovation and and a high uh, application of technology approach and things. So we're we're real happy. Okay, well that's good, and I, and I'm assuming that I guess you can also put out there a little carrot for your your folks uh, in Tallahassee that if they play their cards right, they may have an opportunity to visit that particular office because Prague Prague is absolutely one of the prettiest European countries that there is, um, and that's just and, you know I just my thoughts so. And I've never been any place where the beer is cheaper or better. So, uh, you know, that's something they just recently passed a law that on every restaurant or bar's menu, there has to be one thing cheaper than beer. So I'm happy to report tap water in the same volume is about about a nickel a glass cheaper. So beer at about 20 ounces is a dollar for a good Pilsner. So there's some place in the world that 
that life's life's about. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. When I think about what I spent at the last um, last place I stopped at Atlanta Airport, that pales in comparison. So, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. So, so let's let's talk a little bit about you know just this whole idea because I, I do want to talk about some of the specialties that you guys operate in from the bridge perspective. But before we jump into that, since we're we're talking about the workplace environment, and uh, obviously you guys have received. Um, uh, numerous awards and accolades, including uh, this year, you guys got a Zui Group Best Firm to work for. Um, what does this award mean to you personally, and and how has it impacted Finley Engineering Group when it comes to not just getting new business but attracting great talent? Several years ago, we were having we were having a problem with what we thought we weren't doing a very good job of interviewing and selecting people, mm-hmm. and we had it we had a situation that. It was, we were having turnover, we were having unhappiness, and for us being a small firm, that's something that, uh, you know, culturally we're not used to. Right. So we did We did two things. One, we brought in an industrial psychologist wow. to help us revamp our interview process okay. and, and taught our staff some things to uh, be cognizant in the interview process with, with the, the ability to take what makes someone successful here, what's their characteristics, what's their personal motivations and things. So that, that helped us a tremendous amount. The second thing we did is we started benchmarking our benefits program and our approaches to work. We've always been an open book uh, company as far as our management. We post our results. Mm-hmm. We post our business plan. We're interactive with the staff on the development of that. But we started to benchmark our uh, uh, our benefits and certain things. And we started to solicit within our staff, not only what do you, what would you like to see, but of your peers in other places, what are you seeing as something that, that we've uh, we should be thinking about or looking at. So through the course of that, for probably over the last 10 years, mm-hmm. we've, been, we've made steady improvement each year on how our staff uh, uh, sees our benefits program, how they see our, see our compensation programs and things. So I think the uh, best firms to work for is a validation for us as management on what are the staff saying and how do they see, how do, the, how do they see, where they stand maybe with the peer group of the industry. So we use that a lot internally and try to develop things. So, Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like the idea of the industrial psychologist. I mean, I think that, you know, they could come in and, and add a lot of really, I mean, there's, you know, we all have blind spots uh, and especially from a leadership perspective, sometimes we're missing some things and it's good to have an outside an external party come in and take a look at what might be broke, even though we think it works well. Uh, and, and, and what we found, what we found from her was, if we were having the older guys interview the younger guys, mm-hmm. we just weren't, we weren't clicking. Mm-hmm. You know, we were doing a lot more selling. They were doing a lot more kind of having questions. What is it really like? How can I, how can I do some of the, some of the things that interest me more? And she was very, very good of putting it, putting this, this package together on how, uh, how we approach it. And I will say we make a lot less offers than we used to. 
and we have a lot less turnover than we used to. Wow. And 90% of our interviews are done are done by our young staff mm-hmm. and it's it's working fantastic. Well that's that's awesome. Well especially because I mean I, I'm assuming and you know this was something I didn't want to bring up and because you've kind of talked about it certainly as a natural segue is I think one of the biggest challenges that our industry faces is just good talent. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's a major issue, and especially for a firm like yours that's more of a niche specialty firm. Um, I mean, you're not building skyscrapers. You're 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 you, you guys are bridge people. That's that's that is your bread and butter. And so, um, finding individuals that a have a proclivity towards that type of structural engineering and have an interest in that, knowing that you guys are kind of like the the standard bearer for that that area of structural engineering, you want to set yourself apart. And um, it sounds like this industrial psychologist has uh, has helped you out. Um, to kind of give you a firm foundation for that. And I like the idea of, of um, having your younger people do some of the talking, especially in the interview stage and, and, and engaging these younger uh, people, uh, a younger talent in terms of what they can expect. So oh. it's huge. Yeah. And, and with us being a small firm, you know, we're, we're right at 30 people. So it's not the idea that we have a very structured hierarchy. Right. That an entry level engineer may work may work on a project with the most senior of our management team. So by having that ability and trying to develop that chemistry, then it's worked out very well. That that that's just something that's that's expected here. That it, we don't have that hierarchy that you need to make an appointment and come see somebody. Right. If the door shut, there may be a call like this. If not, come in and uh, we'll talk about whatever we need to. So I think those types of things have helped us a lot. That's great. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, one of the things is being it sounds like you're being intentional with your culture. Um, you're being intentional with how you onboard uh, people, whether you're young or old. And you have, you've kind of totally uh, modified the uh, recruitment process. So which is giving you a lot of success. And like I tell firms all the time from a recruiting perspective is that, um, you know, you may only get one bite at the apple when it comes to yeah. talking to a good candidate. And you've got to put your best foot forward, because if you don't, you're dead in the water. Yeah, so, I agree. I agree 100% with you. Yeah. So, well, so listen, given your background and expertise in bridges, um, and I, I'm not going to necessarily call you the bridge whisperer, but but obviously that, that, that you, you guys have some you guys have some some significant experience in this area. I, I'm just curious and I know you're aware of this and and obviously you guys have worked on this, but there's been and we've read over the past few years about the crumbling infrastructure of the U.S., especially when it comes to bridges. Um, what do you think about the structural challenges that we face in this country uh, with our with our aging bridge population? Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that's really significant. Not only are our bridges becoming old and, and obsolete due to deterioration or poor maintenance, they're also becoming obsolete from the point our traffic loads are getting bigger, mm-hmm. trucks are getting bigger. You know, these types of things. So we really have two things going on. So for our company, we don't do much on rehabilitation of bridges. We, we predominantly focus on new bridges. But I will say this. I'm reaching a point in my career that I'm becoming involved in projects that are being taken out of service because they're 
they're obsolete, whether it may be a maintenance issue or most of the time it's functionally obsolete that right. the traffic's getting traffic demands are higher, trucks are heavier. So I'm starting to see a little bit of a renaissance for us on uh, being able to talk to people on how to uh, demolish bridges that we were involved in designing and building. Wow. 35 years ago. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's amazing. You must have heard about that bridge a couple of weeks ago that they were trying to demolish and it just took forever uh, for it to break down. I think it was a bridge here in Arkansas somewhere, if I'm not mistaken. But um, but yeah, it's it's just, you know, like they say, sometimes they don't make stuff like they used to. But, you know, time is, you know, time it will tell the tale for every structure built eventually at some point. So and I, and I think a lot of things are happening now that we're, we're really paying a price that there's been an extreme escalation in material costs mm-hmm. and just construction costs. And we suffered for many years that the funding hasn't caught up with the maintenance demands. So people have taken an approach of or DOTs have taken an approach. Let's just don't invest a little money of keeping everything up. Let's save that money until we absolutely have to replace something. And and I think that's, you know, I think we're going to pay the price for that in the future that, that we're going to see new things and have to have to uh, uh, replace a lot of projects. But I'll say this, the market is good. It's always been good. So, uh, you can't, know, can't complain. So. Yeah. So you and obviously you guys, it sounds like you have you have you has your firm worked in just about every state in the U.S.? Oh, I'd have to go back and check that. I hold 46, 47 state P.E. licenses and a couple of uh, a couple of uh, international locations. So, you know, I I, I typically don't uh, apply for a P.E. unless we're doing work in that state. So I would say there's probably a good chance we've we worked in more than 80 percent of the states at some point. OK. All right. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm just. Yeah. So it's 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 uh, I see that a lot of times with firms. And, you know, I will ask you this this one other question in terms of licensed engineers, because we are seeing somewhat of a shift in the industry where there's not so much of a um, of a dire need to hire a licensed engineer, especially if you have others within an organization that have their license. Are you guys as strict on that uh, from that perspective when it comes to hiring engineers? We we expect all of our engineers to be licensed. So we typically do not hire any engineers with less than a master's degree. Okay. And we don't don't hire uh, any U.S. engineers that don't already have their uh, EIT. So for us, we... uh, when the time comes for them to have the experience, we expect them to take the PE exam, and we've even taken that a step farther. Once they get their PE exam, we offer an incentive for them to – well, we offer an incentive both for the PE, passing the PE exam, but we also offer an incentive to pass the structural engineering exam. Okay. It's not required. Right. It's not required uh, yet. Yeah. But I think at the same time for most of our people – that that is a good that's a good milestone and something uh, something necessary okay. that we expect of them. Okay, and and so for someone like you that that you know I'm always talking to Mark about this because you know Mark's got almost 35 years of experience in the industry. Um, we, we've seen a lot of change over the years, and you 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 and Mark are kind of contemporaries from that perspective. I mean, where where do you see the design industry in the next five to ten years? Uh, I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are. Well, that, that's funny you should say that about Mark. He uh, he started with Fred's Wide White 
within a few months of me starting Finley McNary. Yeah. So we both worked for companies that we had done things together. So, you know, it's nice to see somebody that's been around as long as I have. Oh, I so, know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. That's all good. That's all good. Gives you uh, I think right now, you know, I think with it that, uh, you know, there's, there's really almost two types of models, engineers that want to work in a regional basis and have to find more than one or two disciplines to do, mm-hmm. or engineers like us that work in a niche that will travel anywhere in the world to build this type of project. So right. in our business, we're seeing a lot of penetration or attempt to penetrate markets from European engineers, from engineers all over the world that may not have work plans like ours. And at the same time, we pursue a lot of international work with success too. So for us, I'd say 70% of our markets are North American, 30% of our markets are international, whether it be Latin America, South America, Middle East, Africa, it's uh, Asia. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's become a global economy. And it's become with engineering, it's something that uh, it's highly exportable if you prepare your people to uh, work in other places with other different approaches and and, uh, different skill sets. Right. Yeah. Well, and that, that definitely makes sense. Um, what, what about from a talent side? What do you, what do you think is going to be, what, what are things going to be like, um, you know, from a talent side with regard to finding good people in the next five to 10 years? For us, we're, we're not having too much difficulty finding good, uh, technical design engineers. We're having difficulties on finding, uh, uh, good, CAD technicians that I came up from a kind of an old school system where an engineer took care of the engineering and the design and the CAD CAD technician took care of the drawings and the details. Right. In the U S we're just not per per, you know, educating and putting into the marketplace people with that somewhat blue collar approach to the design drawings and, and details. So, even though we try, we've tried for 10 years and battled to try to keep that system alive, we're going to a system now where we've integrated our design and details through some uh, highly uh, sophisticated software and engineering packages mm-hmm. that right now in the firm, uh, you know, it's kind of everybody is doing some doing some drawings. Okay. So yeah. I'd see that as really something that, that's changed a lot. And wow. it's changed a lot from the technology. Okay. So, Okay. That's part of the reason we went to Prague, too, is uh, the availability of some highly skilled uh, uh, people that can produce drawings and are very good with CAD software and things. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and I, actually, a lot of it can be doing work while you guys are sleeping. And then when you get up, you take the drawings and continue doing what you have to do. So, yeah, yeah no. there's a lot of, you know, if you can integrate your technical uh, software requirements, there's a lot of intellectual capital that in, in turn is something that you can use over and over. I'm not saying it's it's cookie cutter, but you'll use 75 or 80% of an idea. You'll be able to put a, a twist to it. And things like that are what's really helping U.S. firms to be price competitive in third world markets. Okay. You know, we got to use our experience. We've got to use our, our management and things because we, we are not necessarily competitive on just a, a salary 
you know, a salary billing rate. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Approach. There's got to be more than that. So, and, and I think there's something to be said for, I mean, you know, it, it, while you are employing people outside of this country, th- this you're still a U.S. company. And I think you're being able to, 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 to create opportunities that people here on this side of, of the shores can, can appreciate and can take part in. So yeah. um, there's certainly something to be said for that. So, well, listen, we're going to do something. We've, we've started something new here in this interview series. Uh, and uh, we want to go deeper for our audience and learn who the real Craig Finley is. <laughs> we, we, we have a couple of qu- uh, simple questions that we'll end our interview with. And hopefully, you know, we'll have some fun in the process. Um, what was the last book you read? Oh, uh, it was a book on Kit Carson, on uh, Kit Carson and the activities of exploring the West and the uh, Mexican, uh, uh, Mexican-American War and the uh, uh, California history, New Mexico, Arizona. So okay. I, read, I read that on the airplane on my way to and from Prague. Uh, oh, nice. Last- Nice. That's the nice thing about those long flights. I mean, it's one thing to go from like Tallahassee to, I don't know, St. Louis. But when you go to Prague, I mean, you've got some time on your hands. So you can put a a good book away. Yeah. Um, Where did you go on your last vacation? Well, I took about three hours uh, about 10 days ago and toured Prague. Okay. Uh, My wife was long on the trip. And then I will have to say it was over a weekend. But a week and a half ago, uh, I went about 10 days ago, I went to uh, Stuttgart, Germany. Oh, nice. And nice. toured and, and toured the Porsche Museum. Of, of course you did. Of so, course you did. Yeah. yeah so. so that was, uh, I've got to say, that was like a pilgrimage. Yeah, you know, I can so. imagine. Yeah, so, I, I, I've, been, I've been there and uh, I spent, uh, I studied uh, in Germany in college and, and it was a great experience spending time in Southern or Süddeutschland, as they say. But yeah, that's yep. awesome. So yep. that's very, very good. Stuttgart's the place to go, especially for, for those of us that appreciate uh, uh, Dr. Ferdinand Porsche. So um, if, yep. you, if you could binge watch one TV series, old or new, what would it be? Who it would be Boston Legal. Oh, or okay. the Big Bang Theory. Okay. Boston Legal or the Big Bang Theory. Those were two of my favorite uh, shows of all time. Okay. All right. Cool. So, so I, and I see those cars in the background. So I'm going to switch it up a little. I know you're a Porsche man. What, what is your favorite model and why? I've got a 1954 356 Speedster. Okay. Uh, that's got a lot of history to the car. That's is that the James Dean car or close to it? No, uh, James Dean's was a five fifty, but okay. it's the it's the bathtub it's the bathtub speedsters that you know are are fairly famous. Right. So it's been in restoration, but I'm just about to trade it for a uh, 1981 the speedster and some cash for a 1981 930 Ooh. twin turbo with 24,000 miles on it. Oh so, uh, wow! Okay. So I guess right now, uh, between my my uh, uh, Porsche nine 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 seven GT three Cup uh, race car uh-huh. or my or my uh, Speedster, I'd have to say those two, based on what I'm doing, are my favorite cars. But I'm sure the nine thirty 
twin turbo will be right up in there. So. Yeah, and for those that aren't familiar with the 930 twin turbo, many of us as growing up as youngsters had that car on a poster on our wall in oh, our yeah. room. So, yeah. And I had one. I knew my, my father was a, a, a real big car guy. He had a Pantera di Tommaso. And yeah. so I, I grew up appreciating cars, but I, I'm, I'm just getting excited here listening to you. I have goosebumps when hear you talk <laughs> about that. So, well, man, hopefully yeah. we'll get a picture of that one day. Maybe we can add that to our show notes when we um, when we post this interview. But but uh, Craig, I, I want to thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your schedule to be with us on this Wide Letter interview series. And uh, folks, as a reminder, all Zwig Group media programs like this one are available uh, in both podcast and video format free for download. You can go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, just to name a few places. Uh, we'd like to thank you for watching this video or listening to the podcast by offering you a free copy of the Zweig Letter, a six-week subscription, just for you to get a better taste of what the Zweig Letter is all about. It is one of the longest-running uh, newsletters for the design industry since 1992. Just visit free tzl.zweiggroup.com. That's free, tzl.zweiggroup.com. A link to all of this information will be in our show notes. And we would love it if you would share this link with a friend and even uh, give it a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Randy Wilburn, and you've been listening to Zweig Group Media, part of Zweig Group. Remember, we exist to make you more successful. Craig, thanks again for everything, and I hope you have a fantastic day. Thank you, Randy. It was my pleasure. And have a good day, too. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Bye for now, folks. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this special edition Zweig Letter podcast. We hope that you can apply Mark's no-holds-barred advice to your daily professional life. For a free six-week subscription of the Zweig Letter, please visit freetzl.zweiggroup.com to gain more wisdom and inspiration, in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today. Subscribe today.